Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. Last week, we considered a, a godly man, a godly young pastor by the name of Timothy, whom the Apostle Paul intended to send to Philippi once the outcome of his trial was known. He was going to appear before Caesar, that is, the Apostle Paul was, and once, well, after the outcome of that trial, Paul had it in mind to send Timothy uh, to Philippi from Rome. If you remember, Timothy, he was someone who had a kindred spirit with the Apostle Paul. He was like-minded. Today we shall consider another saint who had clearly demonstrated that he was living out, for example, verses 3 and 4 in chapter 2. Have a look at those verses and and pray them for yourself. Look at verse 3 there. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem or consider others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The man that we're going to look at this week, Epaphroditus, he had already journeyed about 800 miles from Philippi to Rome with an offering from the church in Philippi. And that offering, that gift was for the Apostle Paul. The journey that he undertook would have been extremely difficult, extremely arduous, would have taken possibly two months, an 800 mile journey, about two months, bearing in mind that there were no motorways, no high speed rail service or anything like that. In today's passage we shall see that Epaphroditus, having visited Paul, who was in chains, was being sent back to Philippi with this epistle that we're now considering, that we're now studying each week. It is an epistle that tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Primarily it's about Jesus. Although we're looking at Epaphroditus this week, it's an epistle that teaches us about Jesus. Just look again at verses 6 through to 11 concerning Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue confess, every knee bow. That's everybody. Whether it's now as a Christian or when Jesus Christ comes again. Everybody. 
will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Coming back to our passage for today, verses 25 through to 30. First of all, look at verse 25 there. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labour and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Exactly how long Epaphroditus spent with Paul in Rome is not given, but it probably wasn't a long time. We can learn from Acts of the Apostles, the last chapter in Acts, that altogether Paul spent two years in chains in Rome. And it would seem from our passage here that his... um, appearance before Caesar was imminent and afterwards he was hoping to go to Philippi himself and we can glean from that information from the previous two verses look at the previous two verses there him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly So Paul, he's waiting to appear before Caesar. He's waiting for the outcome of that trial. And then he himself will come to Philippi. That's his plan at any rate. Therefore, the errand that the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus on may well have amounted to that long, arduous journey of 800 miles from Philippi to Rome over a period of possibly two months, the same thing going back again to Philippi, another 800 miles, perhaps another two months of difficult travel. A short time with the Apostle in between those two long journeys, not forgetting that Epaphroditus was sick nigh unto death. It was definitely no holiday of a lifetime for Epaphroditus but it would have meant a lot to the Apostle Paul and the pair of them would have enjoyed a wonderful time of fellowship with one another and with their great God and Saviour Jesus Christ for however long it was that Epaphroditus was with Paul ministering to him to his needs In verse 25, the Apostle described Epaphroditus as his brother, his companion in labour, and his fellow soldier. It's well worth spending our time just considering those three epithets so that we can become better acquainted with that dear brother, Epaphroditus, and perhaps more to the point so that we might be stirred up to pray that God would work those same three qualities in each one of us here. First of all, the great apostle who wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books and whose divinely inspired doctrine has been studied and practiced by Christians for the past 2,000 years He considered Epaphroditus uh, 
who barely gets a mention in the Bible as his brother. The word brother or sister, I don't want to leave the ladies out here, the word brother is often uttered for convenience sake when people like me forget someone's name, which happens quite often, and so I call them brother or sister for no other reason than I've forgotten their name. However, it is truly a privilege to be a brother or sister in Christ. It's a tremendous privilege, and that is because it speaks of the very special fraternal relationship that exists between all who belong to Jesus. For example, the wrath of God abides on all who do not believe in Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 36, tells that very clearly. The wrath of God is upon you even now if you are not trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. However, brothers and sisters in Christ are people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've received him as their Saviour from sin. And Jesus has reconciled them to God. He has brought them from that situation whereby they were enemies of God and the wrath of God was upon them, all that has gone. When you trust in Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus himself reconciles you, he brings you into a relationship with God, whereby you can legitimately call God Father. That's something special. And that is seriously special. Jesus gives you the power or the right or the privilege to become a son or a daughter of God when you trust in him. It follows that all sons and daughters of God are what? This is just common sense here. If you are sons and uh, sons and daughters of God, that makes you brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just it's not fancy language, it's the reality. It's very much reality. You have one and the same Heavenly Father. Since the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God and all of us who are trusting in Jesus are children of God by adoption, what that means is that Jesus is our elder brother. What that also means is that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. As sons and daughters of God, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Again, not fanciful language, this is the reality. So much so, dear Christian, that the day will come when your elder brother, the Lord Jesus, he will say to you, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you receive your inheritance as a child of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And even now, as we considered on Wednesday a couple of weeks ago, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit who is an earnest or the earnest 
of the inheritance that is promised to you. You already have some of that inheritance now by virtue of the fact you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's how sure the promises of God are to his children. But in order to hear those words spoken to you on the day of judgment, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, you will have been someone who with lowliness of mind looked out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of your brothers and sisters in Christ. It makes good sense, doesn't it, this? As an heir of Christ, you are someone who now, in this present world, take care of the interests of your brothers and sisters in Jesus. As did Timothy, whom we considered last week, and also as did Epaphroditus, whom we are considering this week. Coming back to verse 25, Paul described Epaphroditus as his companion or or companion in labour or his fellow worker. So we've considered him being a brother and now we consider him being a companion in labour or fellow worker. Fellow worker comes from the Greek word sunergus, no sorry, sunergus, sunergus. We get our English word synergy from that word. And what it means is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organisations, substances or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. That is sunergus or fellow worker or companion in labour. Paul and Epaphroditus did precisely that. They cooperated in order to produce a greater combined effect for what? For the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something similar can be seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 6 through to 9 where Paul said of himself and Apollos, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So the two of them came together in synergy, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. This is Paul speaking about him and Apollos and us generally. We are God's fellow workers. That word sunergus again. You are God's field. You are God's building. (coughs) Clearly there is an exhortation in verse 25 here for pastors, preachers and evangelists and missionaries, all people who are engaged in Christian ministry to unite as companions in labour in synergy for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. People like me, I need to unite with other pastors, evangelists and so on so that we can combine our efforts um, for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. But having said that, 
there is nothing in our verses to suggest that Epaphroditus was anything other than a regular Christian who was sent on an errand by the church in Philippi. Nothing to suggest that he was an evangelist, a missionary or anything else. As I said earlier, there are only a few verses um, in which that, that speak of Epaphroditus in the Bible. Also, that same description, Sunegus, translated companion in labour in verse 25, was given to a Christian woman by the name of Priscilla in Romans chapter 16 and verse 3. So, to a degree, all who were brothers and sisters in Christ ought to interact and cooperate for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. All Christians, male and female. Perhaps we all know that, but also perhaps we ought to pray that it becomes a reality and that we don't just leave it to others. Thirdly, and last of all, in verse 25, the Apostle Paul described Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. Timothy, whom we considered last week, was described by the Apostle as a soldier in Christ in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, where Paul said to him, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So clearly, Timothy was a soldier of Christ. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul said to Timothy, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. That's real fighting talk there, isn't it? Wage the good warfare. The context for Timothy and also for Epaphroditus to be soldiers of Christ, fellow soldiers with Paul, waging the good warfare. This is the language of the scriptures and it can be seen in 2 Timothy, the context of it, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8, where Paul said, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. That's the context there. Sharing in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Sharing with Paul. With regards Christians being soldiers and fellow soldiers with Jesus, because again, it's not just Timothy and Epaphroditus. Christians generally being fellow soldiers with Jesus as their captain. The Bible commentator John Gill said that the life of every believer is a warfare. He is always engaged in a war with sin and Satan and the world. 
and is often called to fight the good fight of faith, to contend earnestly against false teachers for the faith once delivered to the saints, to stand up for it and is provided for with the whole armour of God, with weapons of warfare which are not carnal but spiritual and mighty, being enlisted as a volunteer under the great captain of his salvation, Jesus Christ, under whose banner he fights and is more than a conqueror through him. But though this is the common sense and character of all the saints, it more especially belongs to ministers of the gospel who are set for the defence of it and at the front of the battle and are called to meet the enemy at the gate and endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. But we're all in there. We're all in that passage. Most certainly I am as a pastor, but all of us are. Christians are not expected to enter into battle shoulder to shoulder as fellow soldiers in their own strength. What strength do we have? The answer is no strength at all. However, we ought to strive together for the faith of the gospel with God's enabling. God is our strength. Look at um, the previous chapter. We did this a few weeks ago. It's well worth revisiting it. The previous letter, rather. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 10 through to 17. God provides us with armour. For the warfare. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Finally my brethren. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see it there, don't you? The armour of God for all Christians provided by Almighty God. Finally, after 40 long years in the wilderness, having been delivered by God from their afflictions in Egypt, the ancient Israelites entered the promised land. As they prepared to invade Jericho, Joshua, who was their leader, he succeeded Moses. He met a stranger. It's worth turning with me now, if you can find it, to Joshua 
chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. It's just after the first five books of the Bible, after Deuteronomy. I'm going to read from verse 13 in Joshua chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries, for our enemies? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valour. A few minutes ago, I spoke about Christians being soldiers, fellow soldiers with Jesus as their captain. What we have in these verses is Jesus, the the verses in Joshua there, which incidentally was about 1,500 years before the word was made flesh. 1,500 years before Jesus was born of a virgin. What we have in Joshua there is the captain or the commander of the host of the Lord and he is referred to as the Lord. In Joshua chapter 6 verse 2 the captain of the host of the Lord is himself referred to as the Lord, Jehovah God. Notice that Joshua took off his shoes in acknowledgement of the holiness of the captain of the host of the Lord. And he fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped him. Joshua fell prostrate before Jesus and he worshipped him. About 1,500 years later, the captain of the host of the Lord won a decisive victory over sin, over Satan and over death at the cross. If you haven't already done so, then surely, surely, you hear this from me every week, surely now is the time to bow down before the captain of the host of the Lord, acknowledging His holiness and your sinfulness and trust in him 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't mess around. Don't play fast and loose with God. You hear this from me. Some of you in here are stubborn. Sinfully stubborn. And that stubbornness and that arrogance will take you to hell. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get down before him. Do it now. Even right now. If you're too shy. Do it today sometime. But do it. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go from being in the devil's dark domain. To being in the ranks. Of the army. Of Jesus. And may he be your captain, your saviour and your God. Amen.